0: This is the Ford Theater, a full hour of radio drama. Our play today, Michael and Mary, the love story of two people who took a risk to find happiness. The Ford Theater, presented by the Ford Motor Company, makers of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars, and Ford trucks, farm tractors, and motor coaches. In the past three generations, millions of Americans have learned to rely on Ford products. For three generations, Ford has led the way in the development of more dependable, more economical transportation. Today, in the third generation, more than eight million Americans prefer Ford products. They know from experience you can depend on Ford. Our regular Ford Theater spokesman, Mr. Howard Lindsay, is away today in Detroit supervising with his colleague Russell Krauss their forthcoming production of Life with Mother. In his stead, we take great pleasure in introducing the eminent actor, star of the current Broadway hit Joy to the World, Mr. Alfred Drake. afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today's Ford Theater play was written for the American stage by an Englishman who has spent his life making people laugh or making them think. His name is Alan Alexander Milne, A.A. Milne, author of those delightful books for children, When We Were Very Young, and Winnie the Pooh. In Nancy Moore's adaptation for the Ford Theater, Michael and Mary is presented as a story within a story. begins in a distinguished house on East 63rd Street in New York City. This is the home of Michael Rowe, the well-known novelist, and like all writers, Michael knows that truth is difficult to express, that the full truth often cannot be told at all. This afternoon, Michael, his wife Mary, and their son David are discussing David's forthcoming marriage. I don't know if I like this big wedding deal.
1: But Linda does, David. Mm-hmm.
0: And so does your mother. So I'm outnumbered. <laughs> when you two were married, did you obtain the cooperation of your respective papas and mamas, get solemnly engaged for a decent length of time, and then get solemnly married? Well, no, it wasn't quite like that. <laughs> Not quite. Well, all I can say is I hope Linda and I have a life together that's as fine as yours. In general, I hope you do too, David. Mary and I have had a few ups and downs you don't know anything about. I've only seen the ups. What downs? Being poor once? Linda and I could take that in our stride just the way you did. No, I wasn't thinking of that. Hmm, What then? (laughs) Mind your own business. Oh, come on, Dad. (laughs) Stop being mysterious.
1: Michael's only teasing, David.
0: Refusing to tell his son the facts of life on the eve of his marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Dad, were you and your father good friends the way we are? Hardly. You and I joke together. We're on easy, casual terms. I respected my father, but he always held himself aloof. I never told him a joke in my life.
1: There's your phone, Michael.
0: I'll take it in the study. Hello? Mr. Michael Rowe? Yes? This is Inspector Colliers, Mr. Rowe. Who? I was Lieutenant Colliers when we met ten years ago. Now, do you remember? Oh, yes. Uh... Of course, Inspector. I'm sorry. Ten years is a long time. That's all in how you look at it. Have you forgotten the occasion of our meeting? I. No, I just haven't thought of it. That's so? The police never really closed that case, you know. I didn't know. I thought. Yes, I'm sure you did, Mr. Rowe. Well, I just turned up some new evidence. I'd like to see you this afternoon. Inspector Colliers, is this necessary? We went through enough unpleasantness ten years ago. Very necessary. I'll be at your house within the hour. Very well, Inspector. We'll be ready. Mary. Yes, dear? Will you come here a minute, please?
1: Oh, Michael. Don't tell me your publisher wants you to do some rush job. Close the door. Michael, what's the matter? It's come, Mary. What's come?
0: That was Lieutenant Colliers. Inspector Colliers, now. Michael. There's new evidence. He's coming here in an hour. Oh, no. (laughs) Ten years. Ten years of stolen happiness. Every year feeling more safe, more certain. And it was only a reprieve.
1: I think I knew it would come, Michael. I think I always knew. But why now? Just when David... We have to tell him, Michael.
0: Yes. Maybe we were wrong not to tell him before.
1: No. At least he's had 22 years without the shadow we've lived under. He's had that, anyhow. Oh, but, Michael, what will this do to him? To his marriage? To his feeling for us?
0: Hmm. Always thinking of David. Never of yourself. But don't
1: you remember? We did it for David, not for ourselves. And now, it was all for nothing.
0: Was it, Mary? I don't think so. But only David can answer that, after we've told him. Come, darling. There isn't much time. Mary and I have something to tell you. It's a story we always hoped you'd never have to hear. But something happened just now, that phone call, which changes everything. What's wrong, Dad? Maybe we should have told you before. I don't know. All through my life, that's been my trouble. I didn't know. In my father's age, almost everything a person wanted to do was wrong. In this age, almost nothing you want to do is wrong. I came in between the two when one still felt right was right and wrong was wrong, but didn't quite know which was which. Sit here beside me, Mary.
1: Yes, Michael.
0: For a long time, what we're going to tell you only concerned Mary and me, David, and then you, without your knowing. But now it concerns Linda, too, and your whole future. Linda? Well, for Pete's sake, what is it? It's the story of Michael and Mary... It begins 24 years ago here in New York by the Hudson River. I was meeting a girl for dinner, a girl named Carol. It was a celebration. I'd sold my first story that morning. I had the world by the tail. As I walked toward the place, it was just dusk. Carol wasn't there. But another girl was, a shabby, forlorn-looking girl standing by the shore, staring at the water. She didn't see me or hear me as I moved across the grass but something about the expression on her face and the tenseness of her body made me stop and look at her sharply. Such hopeless misery and utter dejection I've never seen. I had the strong feeling that I'd better say something to her, anything, because soon it might be too late. I said the first thing that came into my head. Wonderful weather, isn't it? Is it? A spring's always nice, don't you think?
1: I used to think so.
0: Are you waiting for someone?
1: Please, I...
0: You want me to go away, don't you? Yes. I don't think I'd better. Then I'll go. Oh, please, listen. I'm not trying to be fresh. I... Well, you look as if you need someone to talk to.
1: What's the use of talking?
0: Sometimes it helps.
1: Not anymore. Oh, go away.
0: I'm I'm not just curious. I'm not prying. I want to help you.
1: Please. Please don't be nice to me. I can't stand it. Oh,
0: things are never as bad as... You
1: can say that. But you're not me. And you don't know.
0: Tell me what's wrong.
1: Everything's wrong. People, promises, marriage, everything. Oh, why did you have to come? Just when I... For now. Go away.
0: I can't go. Come and sit on this bench.
1: Oh. All right. But it won't do any good. Nothing's any good anymore. (laughs)
0: I didn't try to make her talk at first. She needed to cry, and I let her. Better she should drown in tears than in... Well, that was the scene Carol walked in on. A shabby but very lovely girl crying on my shoulder. (laughs) Well. Oh, Oh, hello, Carol.
1: Very pretty and touching. Do introduce us, Michael.
0: Yes, uh, uh, this is... Uh... Never
1: mind. I'll go now. Well, no,
0: no, you can't. You
1: needn't worry. It was all an act. What? That's how I make my living. I
0: don't believe it. This is an act now.
1: Really, Michael, is this the great play you're always going to write? I must say you've given me a very small part.
0: This isn't a joke, Carol. This poor girl, starving... I'm
1: not starving. If she's starving, take her to dinner.
0: That's a good idea. We'll all have dinner together and talk it over. No. You can help, Carol. You're just the person.
1: Oh, my... Really, Michael, men do things like this so badly. It's terribly sweet of you to ask me, but I'm afraid I have a date. Uh, Do take Miss, uh... I wish I knew your name. Or is it a secret? Mary Weston. Thank you. Michael, may I introduce you to your friend, Miss Weston? And this is Michael Rowe. Well, have a nice dinner.
0: wasn't exactly a nice dinner, not a gay one certainly, the kind Carol meant, but I finally persuaded Mary to talk. It was an old story.
1: How can you know what people are really like? He said such beautiful things, and he had such beautiful manners. I believed him, all the promises, and so we got married.
0: And it it didn't work?
1: He didn't even try to make it work. The only thing he tried to do was make me hate him. And I did. He thought it was very funny. It made him laugh. And then when he'd spent all my savings, he just disappeared.
0: But if you stopped loving him, then why did you care? I
1: don't care, not about him. I care that I was such a fool. Oh,
0: but that's not enough to make you do what you tried to do.
1: Everything's gone wrong ever since. I haven't any money. And I can't get a job.
0: Well, won't your family help?
1: I haven't any family. I haven't anything. Well, that's all, Mr. Rowe. Thank you for dinner. Well, you're not going. I made up a hard luck story and it got me a dinner. I told it very well, don't you think? And you believed it. Will you write a story about me now?
0: Oh, stop that. If you haven't been telling me the truth, then there's no truth in the world. You were telling me the truth. Weren't you? Yes. Where do you live?
1: Nowhere. They turned me out this morning.
0: You've... Nobody? Nothing?
1: Nobody. Nothing. Goodbye. Thank you again.
0: No, no, wait. I have thought of something.
1: Oh, you've done enough. And I thank you for it. But I still have my pride whether you think so or not. And I'm not going to take money from you if that's what you've thought of. From a stranger... No.
0: Well, if that's pride, it's nothing to be proud of. If you were shipwrecked, would you refuse to be rescued until you'd been introduced to the captain of the ship? Well, you're shipwrecked now, and my sail has just come over the horizon. I'm going to save you whether you like it or not. It's too late. It's never too late. Now, listen, today is my lucky day. I told you I sold my first story. I have to pass that luck along. If I don't, it'll sour on me. I've got $2,000 in the bank. My mother left it to me. Even if I don't earn anything for a year, I could live on half of that. The question is, can you live on the other half? you?
1: Mm-hmm. Could you? Of course I could, but... Well, then it's yours. Oh, no. That
0: gives us a year each and $1,000 besides what each of us earns, which is bound to be something. How old are you?
1: 20, but
0: I... And I'm 23. We're both young enough to do anything. Now, stop saying no. I met you for a reason, and this must be it.
1: You're going to give me half of all you have in the world?
0: I'm going to give you the extremely small sum of $1,000 on certain conditions.
1: I'm glad there are conditions.
0: Well, I want to know how you're making out. My first condition is that we meet once every week. Every Tuesday, because this is Tuesday, and have dinner together and tell each other what sort of luck we've been having during the last week. Agreed? Oh, yes. Now, my second condition... Well, as a matter of fact, I think that's all. Now, it's your turn, Mrs. Weston.
1: Oh, please. Weston's my maiden name, Mary Weston. So I'm either Miss Weston or Mrs... I hate the other, so I never want to say it or hear it again.
0: Well, since I don't know it, I can't say it. And you can't hear it. Have you got a condition, Miss Mary Weston?
1: Just one. That you let me pay you back.
0: <laughs> All right. I'll let you pay me back. Sorry I'm late. Have you been waiting long?
1: I just got here five minutes ago. Sit down, Michael. Mm-hmm. Have you ordered yet? Uh-huh. A soup, lamb chop, salad, and coffee. I made it. Two orders. One for you. Is that all right?
0: <laughs> oh, of course it is. You know we always eat the same things. How's the new job, Mary?
1: All right. I, I think I'm going to get a raise soon. Wonderful. What about that story of yours? Have you written it yet? Which story? Why, Michael... How many stories can you write in a week? (laughs) Last Tuesday when we met for dinner, you said you had a marvelous idea for a story. Oh, you
0: mean the idea you gave me.
1: Oh, I didn't really give you the idea. You figured it out. I just suggested it.
0: Nonsense. The idea was yours, and a fine one it turned out to be, too. I sold it last Friday.
1: Oh, Michael, I'm so happy for you. What else is new?
0: Well, let's see. Since last Tuesday, uh, a lot's happened. What? Well, I don't know where to begin. There's so much. I had lunch with a magazine editor... I signed a contract for a series of short stories. Wonderful. (laughs) Yes. And then I got the ninth chapter of the novel finished. You didn't.
1: Michael, when can I see it?
0: Oh, it isn't typed yet.
1: I'll type it and, and read it at the same time, just as I did the others. Will you bring it next week?
0: Well, I... Mary, do we have to meet every week like this?
1: Well, if you don't want to, Michael, if you want to stop... I don't
0: mean that. I mean, well... Couldn't we see each other more than once a week?
1: Well, our agreement... Oh,
0: forget our agreement. Couldn't we see each other on Wednesdays and Fridays? And... And must we always meet in this restaurant? Couldn't we go for walks and bus rides? And couldn't we take in a play? Couldn't we, Mary? I was in love with Mary, but what was the use of talking about it? There was still that husband somewhere. She couldn't find him to divorce him. He hadn't bothered to divorce her. One day, when the year was about up, my father came to see me. He'd heard about Mary. I don't know how, but I didn't bother to ask. As I faced him, he seemed, as always, as rocky and relentless as the New England coast he came from. Michael, what about this girl? What girl, Father? Is there more than one? I suppose you mean Mary. I believe that's her name. What do you intend to do about her? Do? Well, what am I supposed to do? You see her all the time, don't you? Yes. And no one else? No. You're in love with her? Yes, I am. Yeah. Then it would seem to me that you should marry her. I can't marry her. I married your mother. Raised a family on less money than you make right now. Well, it isn't the money. It's something else. You wouldn't understand. Oh, I'm afraid I wouldn't. Now, look here. If you think Mary and I... I think nothing of the kind. Not of my own son. It's what other people will think. Oh. You hadn't thought of that? Then it's time you did. If you're not concerned with your own reputation, what about hers? She's alone in the world? Yes. Mm. That puts an even greater responsibility on you, Michael. I've known that for some time. You say you can't marry her. You fail to explain why. Then I have this to say to you. Go away from her before it's too late. Before you've broken her life and dishonored your own. Is that too much to ask of my son? If you only knew how much it is. Are you afraid of the responsibilities of marriage? No. There's no peace and lasting happiness to be found in pleasure alone. There must be responsibility. Struggle. Self-respect. Marriage or nothing, Michael. I... I guess you're right. Marriage or... or nothing. Mary.
1: Michael, what's the matter?
0: My father came to see me today. He'd heard about us. Not that there was anything to hear. What do
1: you mean? Heard what?
0: Well, he didn't like the way things looked. Or he thought other people wouldn't. Mary, he made me see that I'm hurting you when all I've ever wanted to do was help you.
1: But you haven't hurt me. How could he say that?
0: Well, it's what other people might say.
1: I don't care what they say.
0: You know I love you, don't you, Mary?
1: I didn't know, Michael. You never said it before.
0: Well, what was the use? Do... Do you love me?
1: Since that first day. You knew, didn't you? No. I'm glad I didn't show it too plainly. It was hard not to. Will you say again that you love me? I love you. Oh, Michael.
0: I've told you because I'm I'm going away. Away? Away? If I kiss you even once, I won't be able to go.
1: But why are you, Michael? Why? I
0: love you and honor you and respect you too much to stay. Darling, we can't go on like this. I can't anyway. Now that I know, that we both know, it's what Father said, marriage or nothing. It has to be nothing.
1: You want to marry me?
0: Do you, Michael? What's the use of even talking about it? Do you? What do you think I've been saying all this time? Then
1: let's get married.
0: Well, unfortunately, you have one husband already. No.
1: No, I haven't.
0: What? Mary.
1: He's dead, Michael.
0: Dead? Why didn't you tell me? I didn't
1: know it mattered to you.
0: How do you know? When did this happen? A month
1: ago, two months, I don't know. I saw his name listed in the paper. That shipwreck off the coast of Ireland. Everyone missing. He was on the ship. Missing? So we can get married, if you mean it.
0: Mean it? Of course I mean it. Do
1: you? Oh, yes, Michael. Yes. But... But what? Well, I haven't had anything official. He might be still alive. Maybe he was saved. We'd be taking a chance.
0: Oh, one chance in a thousand. What's that? Nothing. Not a thing. You're sure you want to risk <laughs> of it. Of course I want to risk it. We've wasted two months already, darling. Let's not waste another minute. chance in a thousand. Surely acceptable odds for people to take in the gamble for happiness. In Act Two, which will be heard in just a moment, we shall discover just how successful this gamble was. Our Michael, by the way, is Les Tremaine, and Florida Freebus appears as Mary. Now here is Kenneth Banghart with news of a special event. This coming Thursday, the first big automobile show in eight years will open here in New York. On Thursday morning at 11 o'clock at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, the Ford Motor Company will welcome the public to a showing of the two new Lincolns and the new Mercury and to the world premiere of the new 49 Ford. The showing will last six days, and it's expected that tens of thousands of people will crowd the great ballroom of the Waldorf to see the new Ford, because no car in years has aroused as much interest and curiosity as the Ford 49er. For almost half a century, Americans have been watching the Ford Motor Company with interest, watching the steady progress and improvement of Ford cars. They've learned from experience that Ford leads in bringing important advancements to its field. And so now, when they hear that the new Ford will be a greater change from the present Ford than the famous Model A was from the famous Model T, Americans know that the popular-priced car is going to take another big step forward. If you're going to be in New York this week, the Ford Motor Company invites you to attend this special showing at the Waldorf starting Thursday morning. I know you'll enjoy it. But whether you can come or not, you'll soon know more about the 49 Ford, for no matter where you are, in less than two weeks, you'll be able to see the Ford 49er for yourself. In just 12 more days, your Ford dealer will have on display the car of the year, the 49 Ford. The second act of Michael and Mary will be heard after a brief pause for station identification. Michael Rowe again takes up the story which he and Mary feel their son David must be told. You will remember that Mary's husband deserted her and later was reported dead. She and Michael had decided to be married. We were married immediately. Under a shadow, I suppose. But as the days and weeks and years passed, Mary and I forgot the shadow. I stopped thinking of that first husband whose name I didn't even know. There is too much happiness, David. My books began to sell. We had a son. And he grew into a long-legged boy whom his mother and father loved very much. When you were 13, we sent you off to prep school. We missed you more than we liked to admit. Well, one night after dinner, Mary looked up from the evening paper.
1: Michael, have you seen the paper yet?
0: Oh, I want to, thanks.
1: You didn't notice anything?
0: I read it, if that's what you mean. What did I miss?
1: I just wondered if there was anyone you knew on this page.
0: No, I don't think so. Hey, how did I miss that?
1: Do you know her?
0: Mrs. Michael Rowe, wife of the well-known author. Oh, darling, darling, you look wonderful. Just think, people all over New York are saying, still, you can't deny his wife's pretty. First
1: time I've ever been in the paper. (laughs) Shows how famous you're getting to be, Michael. Well, let's
0: see what it says. Mrs. Michael Rowe, wife of the well-known author, helping with the Red Cross Drive. Mr. and Mrs. Rowe are the parents of a 13-year-old son, David. Oh, darling, we've got to send this to David. He'll be so proud. I'm proud. I've got the prettiest wife, the handsomest son, the most comfortable apartment in New York, and I've just had the best dinner. Oh,
1: you needn't exaggerate, darling. (laughs) You know how it is on Clara's day off.
0: I sometimes think the popular Mr. Rowe and his beautiful wife should have more than one servant. I see them surrounded by lackeys.
1: Michael, I must be economical for you. <laughs> I always have the horrible fear in my mind that suddenly everybody will stop buying your book. Yes,
0: they probably will. But what's the use of worrying about it? Remember when we said if we could only save $1,000, we'd feel safe? And then it was 2000 and then five. Now we've got 10000 all the way. But can we ever feel safe?
1: I suppose I'm afraid because I know what it's like, what I'm afraid of. You don't, Michael.
0: Darling, you'll never know again. I promise. Neither you nor David will... Oh, confound that man. If it is that man. Who? Old Ferguson. He warned me at the club today he might drop around. Mary, you disappear. He only wants to borrow a book, but if he sees you, he'll stay. He's the world's biggest bore. I'll say you've gone to bed. hmm?
1: All right, darling.
0: Coming. Hello, Ferguson. Oh, Mr. Michael Rowe? Yes? Oh, I won't keep you a moment, Mr. Rowe, or if I might just... Come in. Oh, thanks. What can I do for you, Mr.? Oh, you're wondering who I am and what I'm here for. It's natural. Well, I'll tell you. Where do I begin? That's the question. Sit down, won't you? Oh, thanks. Cigarette? No, no, thanks, sir. Not supposed to smoke. Heart. Still, oh, why not? I haven't much time in this Vale of Tears, anyhow. Oh, it's a very nice apartment you've got here, Mr. Rowe. As I said to myself as I came in, my niece, my niece, if she is my niece, will be happy in a nice apartment like this. Your niece? Well, that's the question. That's why I'm here. As I said to myself over my solitary dinner just now, is it my niece or is it not? Why not try beginning at the beginning, huh? <laughs> It's very good, Mr. Rowe, and very witty. But where is the beginning? That's the question. Do we go back to the dear old days when a sweet little girl with long curls on her back used to call me Uncle George? Or to the moment a few hours ago when I opened my evening paper and my eyes rested on the face of Mrs. Michael Rowe, the popular author's wife? I said, "Good heavens, it's, it's the very image of my little niece, Mary Weston. Uh, I'm George Weston. I see well, then you can understand an uncle's feelings and now I have to give myself the pleasure of calling on you to make sure. I'm afraid you've made a mistake. My wife has no Uncle George, no Uncle Living. Uh, Maybe so, Mr. Rowe, in which case, uh, I shall apologize for my intrusion withdraw. But the fact that she hasn't spoken of me is, well, not surprising. I'm afraid I wasn't spoken of much in the family, the Rolling Stone, the prodigal brother of Mary's father. The bad egg. Well... But the bad egg is made good. Yeah. <laughs> that should appeal to a witty writer like yourself. The bad egg is made good, huh? <laughs> well, well, well. Oh, yeah. The well, last week I came back to America with a fortune in my pocket, but alas, the seeds of a deadly disease in my heart. And with nothing to do but to sit down and wait for death, the great master to claim me. Why, I... Sorry, you're not well. Oh, well, you know you can't knock around the world the way I have, Mr. Rowe, and not pay for it. Oh, well, I've no complaint against fate, uh, except one. Who do I leave my fortune to? I've lost sight of my few relations. Are they alive? Are they dead? And I open my paper tonight, and I see. no, can it be my niece, Mr. Rowe, George Weston wouldn't be doing his duty as an uncle and a citizen if he hadn't come to inquire. So George Weston has come. And if he's mistaken, <laughs> pardon this intrusion. He can withdraw immediately. Well, uh, of course, it's very... Uh, you, you're quite right from your point of view, but I really don't think my wife... Would your niece recognize you? Mm, I think so, Mr. Earl. I think she'd recognize me. But, uh, well, I'm content to leave it in her hands. I'm not trying to force myself on you. If she prefers to disown me... Oh, there's so... no question of that. But I still think you're making a mistake. However, that's for my wife to say. Mary.
1: Did you want me, Michael?
0: Would you come here a minute, darling? Of
1: course.
0: This is Mr... Harry. Yeah, I thought so. Hello, Mary. Harry. Well, oh, aren't you glad to see me again? Yes. I thought you said your name was...
1: Michael, m- Michael.
0: What's the matter? Yes. Oh, yes. You ask Mary what's the matter. Who are you?
1: It's my husband, Michael. My husband.
0: Harry Price. And that's your service. Harry Price husband of the affectionate lady now in your arms. That picture of Mary in the paper, the fact that she had a son and a husband who was successful, was all Harry Price needed. One chance in a thousand, we'd said. And 14 years later, that one chance had come to mock us. I remember his oily <laughs> voice, his <laughs> unctuous manner. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not a ghost. Oh, no, Mary. I didn't drown in the Irish Sea. I wasn't even on that ship. Well, turned out to be a piece of luck, didn't it, that I was uh, a little short of funds when she sailed. What do you want? Oh, you know what I want. You know very well what I want. Oh, no, no. Not, <laughs> not my wife, no thanks. I want a little financial arrangement to be made. And then, Harry disappears. Mr. and Mrs. Rowe never see him again. Ah, well, the the best of friends must part. You can go to prison for blackmail, Mr. Price, and your wife for bigamy.
1: Oh, Michael, I've brought this on you.
0: It'll be all right, darling. Of course, it may be a consolation to you that when your wife is in jail, to know that I'm in jail too, but it seems kind of silly to me.
1: How much do you want? Now you're talking.
0: Trust a woman for common sense. Well, now, Mary, I thought a cool 10000 A nice, cool, solid, comfortable $10,000. Hmm? Ah. Just about the right amount. Hmm. <laughs> well, Harry Price knows. Harry Price always knows. You can go to the devil. And your wife? And your boy? When I heard about you 14 years ago, I promised myself that if I ever met you, I'd punch your filthy face. I'm older now. Life doesn't seem so simple. But I warn you, if you don't get now, out now, of here... No, 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 now, now. no roughness, please. Remember my weak heart. Get out. Not one penny. Uh, bluff, bluff. I've met it before. I call it. Oh, you've met it before. In business. The blackmailing business. Now look here, I've had enough of this. Let's get down to facts. Call me a blackmailer, I don't care. And your wife's a bigamist. Facts, facts, facts. Are we both going to prison or aren't we? Ask yourself who's going to mind going to prison most, me or her. And who's going to mind the truth coming out most, me or you? So oh. let's get down to it. My price is ten grand. And when you've spent it, then and what? I'll give you my word of honor. You I... haven't got a word oh, of honor. Oh, I a... swear on the Bible. Bible? You ever try to borrow money, they ask first what security you can give. You've no security to offer, you fool. I have prison to offer. To exchange, you mean. No deal. So outside, Mr. Price. Get out. Oh, no, you can't get rid of me so easy. Mary. Mary. Don't let him do this to you and your poor little son. Talk to him.
1: I agree, with Michael.
0: Thank you, Mary. <laughs> All right, five thousand. Get out. Oh, she's not worth five thousand. Oh, you want her to go to prison? Is that it? You want to be rid of her? Huh? What's the matter? You got your eye on some doll? Are you? No, no, none of that. Here, don't I set me now. No. Get <sighs>
1: Michael, get up. I said, get up. Harry, has he fainted, Michael? Mary. What is it?
0: He's dead. I've wanted to kill Harry Price, but I hadn't. I hadn't even touched him. He didn't hit his head on anything either as he fell. You see, he'd told the truth about his heart. As we stared at him there on the floor, I felt as if I'd killed him. And I said so. No,
1: Michael. It was an accident. It could have happened to anybody.
0: To anybody, yes. But it happened to him. Oh. To him. Michael. Who is he? What did he come here for? Why did we quarrel? The police will want to know. The police. An inquest. They'll ask questions. It will all come out, Mary. We took the risk, and now we've got to pay.
1: Yes. Yes. I'm ready, Michael.
0: Oh, why did this have to happen?
1: Why did he have to come back? Michael, think of all the happiness we've had together. And it's because of what we did, the chance we took, that we've had the happiness. Because we kept our self-respect. Because we knew this might come and weren't afraid of it. Whatever happens now, we've had those years.
0: I'm not complaining, sweet. I've had more happiness than I ever deserved. And if you forgive me, I regret nothing.
1: Forgive? Oh, Michael. Oh, Michael.
0: I suppose I'd better call the police.
1: I suppose so.
0: Yes. Operator, get me. Never mind. No, Mary. What is it? No, no. Let's it's... fight for our happiness. Live.
1: Oh, Michael, we've already done so many things that
0: aren't right. I don't know what's right anymore. I don't know. All I know is that I'd do anything to save you.
1: I hate telling lies. I always have. I
0: hate it, too. Is safety worth it at the cost of living? Safety and self-respect? Can we have them both?
1: I don't know, Michael.
0: Sweetheart, if if you wish it, even if you aren't quite sure but think you wish it, we'll tell the truth, unashamed, and, and let happen whatever happens.
1: All right, we... No... No, Michael, we can't.
0: But you said...
1: I was just thinking of us, and that isn't fair. There's someone else who can be hurt by this. David.
0: Good Lord.
1: Think how hurt and bewildered he'd be, understanding so little except that his mother and father aren't what he thought they were. Nothing for him would ever be quite the same again. No. I suppose we were selfish about David. Maybe he ought never to have been born. But I wanted him so. And now I feel he's something sacred. The debts must be paid by us, not by him. None of this is his fault. We've got to put him before ourselves, before each other, before the truth, before everything.
0: Yes. Well, then we've got the plan. Now, it's, it's 9.30. The police will know more or less when he died. We'll say 9.35. And, and say we were confused at first, so we, we didn't call till 9.40. That gives us ten minutes, Mary... At 9.40, I call the police, and by then, we've got to have a complete story ready for them. Who he is, why he came here, how he died. Ten minutes. Now, who is he?
1: What did he say when he came?
0: He said he was your uncle. I see. His excuse for trying to see you. That's no good. He can't have come here to see you at all. Once the police begin looking things up... No, no, he's a stranger. We don't know his name or anything about him. Well, then, why is he here? A A man at
1: the door, begging?
0: Begging, yes. He became threatening, and then I tried to... No, no. If he were begging, why should he come to the top apartment first? He'd have gone to the apartments below. The police would ask. That, that's no good either.
1: Could you have gone out for dinner? and He followed you home.
0: Oh, I don't like that either. Where'd I go? More lies to make up, you see. Oh. 9.34. I can't think. What's the matter with me? A writer and I can't think of a plot.
1: We'll find something.
0: I'm, I'm sorry, dear. We've, we've lots of time. Let's begin again. Oh, Lord, if you've ever helped me make up a story, help me now. Come on, Mary, it's you who will give it to me.
1: Well, we want to be as near the truth as we can, don't we?
0: Yes, as long as we keep you out of it.
1: Well, then why did he come?
0: Why, why, why? He saw your photograph.
1: Harry did see it? Oh, Michael and I were so proud of it. It's
0: funny, isn't it?
1: It Seems funny now that we ever felt so safe. But that's our cue, Michael. We said to keep to the truth. We'll say we saw the paper.
0: Mm, But that's bringing you in, and I won't do that. But your name's there, too. Wait, I believe you've got it. He read about me in the paper. Looked up my address in the phone book. But is
1: he supposed to know you?
0: He's a fellow writer. Calls himself uh, Stacy Cameron, brother of the pen. Pretends he admires my books. Comes here with a hard luck story. Down on his luck. You
1: get letters like that.
0: Yes, but would I have let him in?
1: You let him in?
0: Like a fool. Well, he comes in, and and then what happens? He threatens you. No, 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 that's dangerous ground. We don't want any hint of blackmail.
1: Michael, it's time. You have to call the police. I'm
0: not ready yet.
1: It's 9.40.
0: Our story isn't finished. But your ten minutes are up. If they come here and start punching holes in an alibi that isn't strong enough to stand up... There'll
1: be a few minutes before they get here. We'll be able to work out the rest of it then, Michael.
0: Maybe. But if it is finished, will it be good enough for them to accept... Oh, Michael. Operator... Get me police headquarters. But as the wheel of fortune turned, that chance came up. Michael and Mary are making up their story for the police. They are taking another gamble. And while we wait for fortune's wheel to turn again, here is Kenneth Banghart with an inside story. Yes, I do have an inside story for you now. The inside story of the car everybody is talking and wondering about. The 49 Ford. Let's start with the frame of the big new Ford. It will be a new drop center frame with a low, road-hugging center of gravity to give you the midship ride. It will have new hydrocoil springs in front and new extra-strong paraflex springs in the rear. It will have new magic-action king sized brakes that stop quickly and surely. And it will have either of two new Ford engines, a 100-horsepower V8 or a 95-horsepower 6 with new Equiflow cooling and new lubrication system, designed for new savings on gas and outstanding new performance. In addition, for the first time in its field, the 49 Ford will offer at extra cost a factory-installed overdrive. That means easier driving and still more savings on gas. Those are the basic parts of the Ford 49er. Now to add the things which will make it a living room on wheels. The new Ford will have seats wide enough for three big people to sit in comfort, the rear seat a full 5 feet wide. There'll be plenty of room overhead and underfoot. There'll be new picture window visibility, more than 20 square feet of sparkling glass. There'll be plenty of baggage space in the new Ford deep-deck luggage locker. And as an accessory, there'll even be a complete temperature control system to suit the temperature to your comfort. The new 49 Ford is definitely going to be a living room on wheels, enclosed in the new Ford lifeguard body. That's the inside story of the comfort safety, and performance you'll find in the new Ford. The outside story, the style and beauty of the new Ford, that's still a secret. People who have seen it call the Ford 49er the dream car. All I can tell you is that it was designed to be the car of the year. But it won't be long now before you'll see for yourself. In just 12 more days in your own community, your Ford dealer will have on display the one and only new car in its field, the car of the year. The 49 Ford. The curtain rises on the final act of the Ford Theater presentation of Michael and Mary. The stranger, Mary's former husband, lies dead of a heart attack. Michael and Mary have devised a story which, if the police believe it, will protect their son and their own happiness. On the phone, I told the police a man had died suddenly in my apartment. I didn't know who he was. In ten minutes, two officers and a doctor were there. The doctor performed a cursory examination and said there would be a post-mortem. Then, Mary and I were questioned by Lieutenant Colliers. All right, Mr. Rowe, what happened here? Why, he... Dropped suddenly, like that. No warning at all. He must have died instantly. You were a witness, Mrs. Rowe?
1: No, I was in the bedroom.
0: Hmm. Did you hit him, Mr. Rowe? Well, not really. I I did try to shove him out the door, but that's all. When he fell, did he hit his head on anything? I don't think so, Lieutenant. Yeah. No sign of physical violence. External, anyhow. You call headquarters right away? No, we... Why not?
1: It was such a shock, Lieutenant Colliers. We were confused at first. We didn't know whether to call a doctor or... And then my husband said, no, it had to be the police.
0: You say you don't know anything about this man. I never saw him before. You, Mrs. Rowe? No. All I know is he said he had a bad heart. But he was lying the whole time he was here, so maybe even that was a lie. Now, let's have the whole story. Start from the beginning. How did he happen to come here? Well, there there was something about me in the evening paper. He read it, and that must have given him the idea. He came here calling himself Stacy Cameron, claimed he was a writer and that we'd met four or five years ago. Uh, You're sure you hadn't met? hmm? Yes, I am now. How about you, Mrs. Rowe? Could he have met you? I
1: don't forget people, Lieutenant Colliers. I never saw him before in my life.
0: Hmm. Go on, Mr. Rowe. I hadn't met him. But the name Stacy Cameron rang a faint bell... I took him at his word and asked him in. Then he began the usual hard luck story. Touched me for $100. What was the hard luck story? Well, I... Well, he, he said he'd been sick. Couldn't work the way he used to. The sales fell off. Couldn't even sell the things he did right. It happens to writers. That's why I believed him at first. And then he made a slip. And I began to be suspicious. What kind of a slip? Well, he, he was a little too glib for one thing. And he used poor grammar. As a rule, writers don't do that. For example? Um, Well, he used the double negative, that kind of thing. That was enough to make you suspicious? People get careless, Mr. Rowe, writers or not. Yes, but uh, there were other things. He pretended to be an admirer of my books. I deliberately asked him if he read one called Disorderly Design. He said he had. Well, I never wrote a book with that title. Anything else that made you suspicious? well
1: yes michael you said he claimed he wrote fiction himself
0: oh yes and that was when i placed the name stacy cameron an article writer who never wrote fiction in his life i knew then he was an imposter i told him to clear out then what happened he got truculent i pushed him toward the door and he just collapsed i see called himself cameron do you think that was his real name well i hadn't the faintest idea lieutenant but he's not the Stacy Cameron, I'll bet on that much. Taking a risk, wasn't he? You might have known Stacy Cameron very well. A risk, yes. But he probably knew what I knew, that Stacey Cameron disappeared from the literary scene some years ago.
1: Maybe he knew Stacy Cameron himself or had a friend who did. That way the impersonation would have been fairly safe, wouldn't it?
0: Possible. You say he spoke of having a weak heart? Yes, but it's the stock thing to say, of course. Looks as if it might be true in this case. May even be named Cameron. That's what gave him the idea. A clever man always keeps as near the truth as he can. Doesn't he, Mr. Rowe? Yes, I, I suppose he does. Well, our first job is to find out who he is. No identification at all. Seems strange he'd look you up. You're not a wealthy man, are you, Mr. Rowe? No. Comfortably fixed. But writers stick together. I mean, they expect other writers to understand when they... You said he wasn't a writer. No, no, I, I didn't say that. I said he wasn't Stacy Cameron. You said writers didn't use bad grammar, therefore he was not a writer.
1: He could have been, Lieutenant. You pointed out yourself that people get careless. He certainly could make up stories anyhow.
0: You're very helpful, aren't you, Mrs. Rowe? I suppose you told me when you came into the picture. My wife didn't see Can him. Mrs. Rowe talk, please?
1: Michael was going to say that I didn't see the man till he was dead.
0: You stayed in your bedroom the entire time?
1: Yes. Michael let him in. It's our maid's day off.
0: Where is your bedroom?
1: That door to the right.
0: You didn't hear anything?
1: Just voices. I wasn't paying very much attention. I was reading a letter from our son.
0: And that's all you have to tell me?
1: Yes, I'm afraid it is.
0: You, Mr. Rowe? That's all, Lieutenant. I wish there were more, but there isn't. I wish so, too. Well, if you should remember anything else, uh, that either of you had met this man before, for instance, there's uh, still the inquest. Does there have to be? The thing was an accident. Yes. He... A coroner's jury will have to decide how he died.
1: And why. Why? <laughs>
0: to go through the inquest. We took the oath and gave the evidence. I swear by almighty God, we didn't like that, but it had to be done. Mary was wonderful. That's one thing you and I can say together, David. Whatever danger threatens us, whatever evil surrounds us, this we know. Your mother will never let us down. And so we got through it. They'd found out his name, or the name he was using. Not Price, luckily. And the verdict was death from natural causes. Well, David, that's our story. As it ended ten years ago. Now, there's just one more thing to be said. Insofar as we've offended against our God, we feel guilty of nothing. But insofar as we have offended against you, David... We're in your hands. It's for you to say. What is there to say? What do you expect me to say?
1: That you forgive us, David.
0: Forgive? more than ever before I honor my father and my mother.
1: Oh, darling. Oh, you are a fine son.
0: What about Linda, David? Will she want to marry into our family when you tell her all this? You don't know Linda or you wouldn't ask that. She'll be as proud of you as I am. And I thought
1: your lives had been so happy. They have been. I never think of the bad part, only the good. Only of you and Michael. Until today.
0: Wait a minute. Why did you tell me today? You hated telling me you never have before. That phone call. What was it? The last chapter of a story we thought was finished. <laughs> How naive we were ever to think we could write a finish to our own story. What people have done, what they've been, lives on forever. Dad. That was Inspector Colliers on the phone. Colliers? Ten years ago, when I said Harry Price was really dead and we were safe, I remember Mary asking, will we ever be safe? She was right. What did he want? He has new evidence, he said. After all this time, how could he? Easily enough, I suppose, if the police wanted to look. There were plenty of loose
1: ends. It'll all come out in the open now. In the papers. Everything. Now you see why we had to tell you, darling... It'll change your life, yours and Linda's. Never
0: mind about us. What's going to happen to you? Dad, mother, what about you? Well, Inspector Colliers, it's been quite a long time since we've seen you. Ten years about, Mr. Rowe. It... Turns out the old saw is true, doesn't it? Truth is stranger than fiction.
1: We should know, Michael.
0: That's right. Well, I'll uh, start at the beginning, if that's all right with you. That is, I'll start with the part you don't know about. Just start. For some time now, we've been after a criminal gang here in New York. Counterfeiters. I expect you've seen something about it in the papers. The Taylor Gang. No, no, I, I missed that. Well, we finally rounded them up. There was a woman among them. Calls herself Sally Winters She claims she was married at 17 Deserted by her husband No family, no money She drifted into bad company And that's a story you hear often enough And too often it's true Well, I was assigned the job of checking on Sally Winters' story And who do you think the man was that ruined her life? The man who dropped dead in your apartment ten years ago We can't pretend we didn't know you were going to say that, Inspector Guess I tipped you on the phone, didn't I? Well, since I already knew something about that gentleman's character, the judge let Sally Winters off with six months.
1: The poor thing.
0: And that was the end of the Taylor case. The end? You mean that's all you had to tell us? No more than that? There's a little more, Mr. Rowe. The end of the Taylor case, but not the end of my investigation. Oh. Oh, What did you do? What did you find? I don't like leaving a story unfinished any more than you do, Mr. Rowe. I'd met that man once in your apartment, and now I'd met him again. I said to myself, I'll bet you've left your mark in other places, my friend. I think I'll take a look. So I had a look. Yes? His real name was Harry Price. Sally Winders wasn't the only girl he married and deserted. You never know about people, do you? You never know. know. There was another girl by the name of Weston. Mary Weston.
1: And you're looking for Mary Weston? Is that right, Inspector?
0: Why should I look for her, Mrs. Rowe? I know where to find her if I want to. But I don't want to. The fault wasn't hers, was it? Inspector, what are you saying? Just that Mary Weston wasn't his legal wife, anyhow, for all she thought she was.
1: She wasn't?
0: Sally Winters was his first wife, his legal wife. Mary Weston was free to take another husband. I only hope she knew it.
1: I... Hope so, too.
0: Well, I thought you'd both be interested. Once Harry Price crossed your path, by accident, of course, but he caused you some trouble. And I wanted to say he'll never cause you any more. He won't, Inspector? The books on Harry Price are closed. I'm closing them myself. You see, Mr. Rowe, I'm not a writer like you, but I deal in stories, too, so to speak, and I like them rounded off as much as you do. You understand? You understand? Yes, Inspector, we understand.
1: Thank you, Inspector.
0: Well, I won't take any more of your time. Good luck to you both and to that son of yours. Thanks to you, Inspector, we've had our share of luck, more than our share. It's time, isn't it? You had your share of bad luck, too. Well, goodbye.
1: Goodbye, Goodbye, Inspector. Goodbye, Colliers. Michael.
0: Oh, I can't believe it. A real ending this time, Mary. He knew. Of course he knew. But he decided there were extenuating circumstances.
1: Extenuating circumstances. That poor girl.
0: Sally Winters.
1: If it hadn't been for you, I would have been Sally Winters. But we're safe now, Michael. At last, and David safe. Michael. We needn't have told David at all.
0: I've been thinking of that. We waited ten years to tell him but we didn't have the sense to wait one more hour.
1: But I'm glad he knows. We're all closer now than we ever were before.
0: I'm glad, too.
1: And just think, Michael. I was never married to Harry at all. I've always been married to you.
0: the audience here in NBC Studio 6A, the curtain of the Ford Theater has slowly descended upon the final act of A. A. Milne's love story of Michael and Mary, played, I think, with great warmth and sincerity by Les Tremaine and Florida Freebus. Mr. Tremaine will be remembered by the Ford Theater audience for his characterization of George Simon in Counselor at Law, and Miss Freebus for her fine performance in Dodie Smith's Autumn Crocus. You know... I envy Eddie Dowling, his duties here next Sunday afternoon. On that day, the Ford Theater will present one of the most hilarious comedies ever produced on Broadway. The amazing and side-splitting My Sister Eileen. Many of you must have enjoyed it also in its movie version. It's the incredible tale of two girls from Columbus who arrive in New York to gain a foothold and end up by creating a landslide of merriment. The following week, your guest spokesman will be Louis Calhoun currently starring in the Broadway revival The Play's The Thing. On the Ford Theatre, however, the play will be the warm and charming comedy The Late Christopher Bean. I remember it as the story of what happens when a gallery full of great paintings turns up in the attic of a New England physician. For the season's final presentation on the Ford Theatre, Howard Lindsay will return to preside over a dramatization of Sinclair Lewis's great novel of science and the men and women who live and die for it, Arrowsmith. You can be sure I'll be listening. Thank you, Alfred Drake. Michael and Mary was adapted by Nancy Moore from the original stage play by A.A. Mill and edited by Howard Teichman. The musical score was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray, and the entire production was under the direction of George Zachary. Other players heard in today's play were Alice Goodkin as Carol, Charles Penman as Inspector Colliers, Cameron Prudhomme as father, and Frank Thomas as David. Alfred Drake, star of the Broadway hit Joy to the World appear today as spokesman for the Ford Theater during the absence of Howard Lindsay in Detroit, where his new play, Life with Mother, is being presented shortly. Next week, Howard Lindsay's guest will be the famous actor-producer Eddie Dowling, and our play will be My Sister Eileen. The Ford Theater is presented by the Ford Motor Company, makers of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars, Ford trucks, farm tractors, and motor coaches. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. <laughs>